G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our guest today is a children's author, an entertainer, poet and children's minister helping unlock creativity for kids in the outback. Well, his new children's book is the story of the little kangaroo who doesn't think she can do anything. But thanks to the help of a wise old emu and an exciting race, she comes to realise that she was born to do something really well. So many of us can relate to a story like that. Well, our guest today is Ian McIntosh, a successful children's author. He's a Guinness World Record holder. He loves poetry. I mentioned he's a former rodeo clown and delivers creative writing workshops in the bush. So a special welcome to you to 2020 today, Ian McIntosh. G'day, Neil. Great to be on your program and uh, yeah, great to join you and everybody listening right across Australia. Well, Ian, uh, as I understand it, uh, you're outdoors at the moment at the Strand in Townsville. And for anyone who's visited Townsville, you'll know it is just a wonderful green parkland, fabulous place, the Strand. Uh, what's your outlook like there as you're looking out over the water? Well, it's, it's pretty tough this morning, Neil. Uh, I had to leave home because we don't have very good mobile inspection and come down and uh, do it tough at the Strand while we talk. And I'm looking out across the water just off to my left is Magnetic Island. Uh, there's, a, there's a slight breeze today. It looks like uh, or feels like it's about 25 degrees. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty tough looking out across that beautiful blue water. Well, some of us might be a little jealous today and uh, just thinking of you sitting there at the Strand. Look, I mentioned, uh, among other uh, wonderful things that you've done, uh, you used to be a rodeo clown. Take us back to what got you into being a rodeo clown, uh, you know, running around in a in a ring with, uh, with bulls bucking. Uh, not everyone's idea of fun. Take us back to those days. No, I guess looking back, I, I can see why it's not everybody, I, everybody's idea of fun. But I, I was born in Victoria, and then by the time uh, I was eight or nine years old, mum and dad had taken us all around Australia, and they decided to get out of the suburbs. And they moved us to the little town of Normanton, out in the Gulf of Carpentaria in northwestern Queensland back in the late 70s. And it's just as a part of growing up in the bush, I learned to ride a horse and uh, worked on some cattle stations when I was uh, a kid growing up and kind of stumbled into... Being a rodeo clown, I'd actually injured myself riding a horse, and so I couldn't ride uh, a bucking horse at a rodeo at the time. And somebody said, "Well, we need somebody to clown the bulls." So I thought, "Well, I can't ride at the moment. I might as well stand in front of a thousand-pound bull and uh, see if that goes any better for me." So I did it, and I enjoyed it so much. I thought I might as well keep doing this because lots of people uh, were clapping and cheering, and they paid me money to do it. So I thought this could be a, a good little sideline. 
Honour to you because uh, when I've been to rodeos, uh, the most courageous people in the ring are not always the ones who are on the back of the bucking bulls. Uh, I'm always actually uh, quite inspired uh, when a rodeo clown is out there and you actually have got a protection role. There's a serious thing you're doing because you might be dressed up like a clown, but it's a pretty serious business, isn't it? Distracting a bucking bull from trampling rodeo riders. Yeah, look, it's, uh, I mean, when it all boils down to it, the, our job is to keep the pointy end away from the cowboy, and sometimes that means putting life and limb on the line and, and getting in there and taking a hit, which uh, I had to do on a number of occasions, and uh, it, it has its risks. I, I've spent a little bit of time unconscious and on flying doctor planes and in hospitals and all those sorts of things. But uh, looking back, it's a very memorable part of my life. It's always a great story. Not everybody's been a rodeo clown, and not everybody's got to meet a rodeo clown. And from my perspective, it was the best seat in the house. Uh, if I walked out of the arena after the event, it was uh, definitely the place to be. Uh, those days where you needed to get assisted out or carried out on a stretcher wasn't always the best job, but certainly a lot of good memories and a lot of good stories from my rodeo clown days. Okay, well, you, you're actually telling us you did take a hit or two uh, from having the best seat in the house. Uh, rescuing uh, riders, in fact, uh, in really what your job is in distracting the bull. Uh, take us back to when you did get hit. Did you say you were, you were actually carried out of the ring on a stretcher a time or two? So probably my biggest one, the one that people talk about the most, was back in August of 1994 at Bullier Rodeo. And Bullier's a little town of uh, just a few hundred people, about three hours south of Mount Isa. And they had a rodeo there every year, and I was contracted to be the rodeo clown. And on that particular day, I remember rolling my barrel out into the arena, my clown barrel. And the next thing I remember is I woke up in hospital and they told me what had happened is the bull had stopped with the cowboy still on it. So as was my job, I'd, I'd ran in and tapped the bull on the head to get him to follow me. And to this day, I don't know really what I did, whether I went too slow or took the bull too cheaply, but he hit me up the backside and I went flying through there like Superman, they said. And I was pretty well until I came into contact with the top rail of the arena fence which was three inch steel and uh, split my head open I slid down the fence and then the bull uh, drove me into the fence a few times and they said I lost vital signs twice before they got me in the ambulance and took me back to Bullier Hospital and they flew me up to Mount Isa on the flying doctor plane and I regained consciousness about nine hours later and at first they said he's not going to make it then they said he's going to have a broken neck and back but uh, thanks to the grace of God, I walked out of the hospital two days later. I probably shouldn't have left that early, but I was able to walk out of the hospital two days later. Well, you're looking at it as a miracle. You might not have been here if it hadn't been for the grace of God looking after you. And he clearly had a new purpose and perhaps something of a new passion that was being born in your heart. And for a lot of listeners, they'll be quite surprised to hear a connection here between Rodeo Clown and Children's Minister. Uh, I guess kids do relate to clowns. Kids do relate to courageous people who get into the ring with a bucking bull. Uh, what's the connection here and how did you get into Children's Ministry as a result of all this? <laughs> I've been asked that question a few times and always make a light-hearted joke that I'm not sure which is more risky, working with children or working with bulls. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I think it, it took a long time for me to actually discover that I had a passion for writing and also a passion for kids. I look back over my life and I think when I was 11 years of age, I remember watching something 
uh, a show about two guys who used to work for the ABC, and their job was to write jingles for radio and television commercials. And as an 11-year-old sitting in the library at school in Normanton, I remember looking at it and thinking, I could actually do that. I, I think in rhymes all the time. I get little jingles and rhymes and songs running through my head. And so I knew when I was 11 that I was actually creative and had a good imagination and was pretty good with words, but nobody ever told me that I could be an author or I, I really didn't uh, find a time in my life where somebody said, hey, I actually think you're pretty good at that. Maybe that's something that you should look at for your life. So roll the clock forward uh, 32 years. Uh, the way I first got into uh, writing children's stories, I was actually uh, at a ballet lesson waiting for my daughter to finish ballet and sitting outside talking to one of the mothers whose uh, daughter was in doing ballet with my daughter. And the mother had a, a two-year-old girl there. Uh, and uh, I just remember looking at that girl, and we were, we were friends, and she had some biscuits in her hand. And, and I thought, just as a joke, I was uh, going to jump out of my chair and go, rah, I'm a bicky monster, I'm going to eat your bickies, thinking that she might share her biscuits with me or think it was funny and run and hide behind her mum. But uh, when I actually did that, uh, I'll never forget the little girl stopped and looked at me. She didn't jump back when I uh, jumped up and went, rah, I'm a bicky monster. She actually stood there, put her hand on her hip, looked up at me, looked down, then reached her leg back and kicked me in the shins <laughs> and walked, walked yep. away like only a two-year-old who's just beaten up a grown man does. And for some reason, at that moment, uh, I didn't get any biscuits, but I did get two things. The first thing I got was a, was a sore shin, and the second thing I got was an idea for a children's story about a bicky monster. And, and that's really where it all started. Later on that day, I went home and I typed out what was to become the first ever draft of my first ever children's story, Watch Out for the Bicky Monster. And it, it took two years from the day the little girl kicked me in the shins and wouldn't share her biscuits to when I finally self-published my first book. Well, not all of us have been beaten up by a toddler, but you have had that experience and uh, sore shins to uh, to prove it. And so, uh, is that your that was your first book, uh, yep. the Mickey Monster? Uh, and uh, is that is this the, the second one, the one we're talking about today, the Little Kangaroo? Is this the second one, or are there others? So the the Little Kangaroo is technically book number four, but uh, one of one of the books, the the, the third book. Uh, I've only got one copy of that. I was uh, going to turn that into a children's story. The, the second children's story is called Silly Socks, Sleepy Socks. And the launch of Watch Out for the Bicky Monster went so well that I thought I'm going to have another go at this. So 12 months later, I self-published my second book. In the meantime, I wrote a story about a jellyfish, and I was about to turn that into a book. Uh, and Reef HQ Aquarium in Townsville saw it and said, hey, would you mind turning that into a live show rather than a book? And uh, so we ran a series of live shows based on the story, the uh, I'd Love to Be a Jellyfish. So that quite didn't quite make it into a book. So what uh, the, the Little Kangaroo will be my third self-published book that's actually made it as far as a book. We'll talk some about this Little Kangaroo as we go, uh, but take us back to the, the jellyfish story. And you're saying it was, yep. it was developed into a musical production. And uh, so were you the star of that production? How did that work? Well, I, I set myself up to be the star, but also uh, brought my wife in on uh, on the show to be a bit of a sideline entertainer as well. And she actually became a star of the show. I don't know how that happened, but it, it just worked that way. Maybe she's a little bit more talented than I am. But we, we turned it into a 30-minute show where I read the story, then we had some songs and activities based around the story, and we performed that at the Reef HQ Aquarium. And it was really just some 
extra activities over the school holidays at the aquarium, but the show went so well. I think uh, seven out of the eight shows, it was sold out, which is not big numbers, only 60 or 80 people, something like that. But still, for me, my first ever stage show, to uh, have a full house almost every session was uh, pretty exciting. It's Neil with you, the Friday edition of 2020. Ian McIntosh is our guest, a successful children's author. He's a Guinness World Record holder. He loves poetry. He's a former rodeo clown and delivers creative writing workshops. We're talking about the passion of your life, how you pursue that, how you discover that, and how you help your children to discover that. You might like to join in our conversation on 1-800-316-316. You can also leave a comment or a question, uh, some contribution to our conversation on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Ian, let's talk about your book, The Little Kangaroo. It's a children's story. I wonder whether you'd like to uh, embellish uh, the story for us and take us through uh, the action, the activities that go on in your children's story, and we'll talk about some of the elements of it. Uh, tell us about The Little Kangaroo. Yeah, so where the story actually came from is I was asked to speak at a uh, Kumon Education Centre's have an end-of-year awards ceremony here in Townsville, and I was asked to uh, be the, the guest speaker at the, the ceremony there. And uh, as I was thinking about what I could write, I thought, well, being a children's author, I should try and come up with a little story that just encourages kids that, uh, you know, there's something about them that's different and special. And I, I got the idea for the little kangaroo, and, and essentially the little kangaroos is about a little kangaroo who doesn't think she can do anything, but discovers that she was born for purpose. And the, the way it all takes place, it's all Aussie animal characters, and uh, in the first part of the story, the little kangaroo comes across a cockatoo who says, come and fly with me. And as hard as she tries, she can't fly and a little cockatoo says, you're hopeless, and flies off. And then shortly after, she runs into a sugar glider who says, come and climb with me. As hard as she tries, she can't climb. So the sugar glider says, well, you're hopeless, and she scampers up the tree. And then feeling a little sad and sorry for herself, she goes to have a drink of water, and a fish swims up, a little perch swims up, and says, uh, why don't you come and have a swim with me? And kangaroos can swim. So she jumped in for a little swim, but obviously she was nowhere near as good at swimming as a little perch. So as the perch was ducking and darting and diving around her, he said, well, you're hopeless, and he swam away. So she hops out and sits on the bank, and she's feeling a little bit sad and sorry and having a little cry. And a wise old emu who's been watching all of this unfold wanders down to talk to her and, and ask her what the problem is. And she says, well, I'm hopeless. I, I can't do anything. I can't climb. I can't uh, glide. I can't fly, and I can't swim. And... The wise old Amy says, well, actually, you are pretty good at something, and I'd like to prove it to you, and invites her to uh, meet him by the big gum tree the following morning, and he says that he's going to invite the other characters as well. So the following morning, they all meet up by the gum tree. Uh, the Amy says, well, the fish couldn't make it today because fish can't survive out of water, but as for the rest of you, we're here to have a race. And, of course, the cockatoo thinks he's going to win because he's pretty good at flying. And the sugar glider thinks she's going to win because she's pretty good at scampering and, and gliding and climbing. And the little kangaroo doesn't think she's going to win because she thinks she's hopeless. Now, as they line up at the starting line and they're about to set off on the race, the Indian says, in this race, there is one particular rule that you must follow in order to win the race. He said, you're not allowed to fly. You're not allowed to scamper and glide. The one rule that you have to obey in the race is that you must hop. And, of course, the... Other characters, the sugar glider, 
and the cockatoos say, well, we don't know how to hop. But the emu doesn't listen to them, and, and off they go on the race. And, of course, the, the sugar glider and the cockatoo have lots of trouble. And all of a sudden, it dawns on the little kangaroo that she's supposed to be racing as well, and off she goes. And by the end of the race, she well and truly beats all of the opposition. And really, the moral to the story that the emu says to her right at the end, do you know why that you won, why you won a race? And the kangaroo says, no, I'm not sure. And Amy said, well, you were never born to fly or swim or scamper and glide. You were born to hop. And that's really the message of the story. We're not born to do everything, but there is something that every child, every person is born to do that's a God-given gift. And that's really the message of the story, that everybody is born for purpose. Well, inviting listeners to join in our conversation, you might have some thoughts as you can draw out some really important elements out of Ian's story. And I want to pick up on one if uh, you're able to sort of take us into this as a children's minister, Ian. uh, Those words that uh, the sugar glider and the fish uh, said to the kangaroo early on, those words, you're hopeless. Now, some of us, have grown up with those sentiments. Uh, Some of us have been told you're hopeless so many times uh, that we believed it, and it actually affected the outcomes of our lives. Uh, You've used those words pretty intentionally by the sound of that. Yeah, you know, interestingly, after I wrote the story, quite quite some time, after a year or so after I wrote it, I actually realised that that story was a little bit my life. I was never the, the fastest. I was, I was never the most uh, academically smart. And at different times, I struggled through school. I've, I've never graduated from high school. And uh, I got told on a few occasions that I, I was hopeless. I just, they didn't understand why I couldn't do it. But they said, well, mate, I don't know why you can't do it. Everybody else can do it, but you can't do it. And so I realized that that was a little bit my story. And I think that's what makes it so special to me. And because I've spent a lot of years around kids and uh, people in general. I've seen a lot of other people out there that just don't really know what it is they're supposed to do, but they they feel like because they've failed before in life, that that means that they're a failure. But all that it is that I find on most, if not all of the time, is that they just haven't discovered what their purpose is yet. I think that's why that story is so important to me because I really believe that it's going to help a lot of people discover what their purpose is and understand they don't have to wait until they're 43 to figure out what it was, which it took me until I was 43 to realise that, hey, I actually really like writing children's stories and I'm good at working with kids. I think that this is my purpose. And since discovering that, it, it's just been incredible. It's, it's given me such a sense of uh, purpose and, and, and value and well-being in my life that I feel so much stronger and empowered that uh, God has got this calling on my life and I am here for a reason. Maybe I'm not good at all those other things, but that doesn't really matter because that, that just wasn't my calling, that just wasn't my purpose. You know, Ian, sometimes I think that, you know, this whole idea of purpose and realising what your gifts and talents are, uh, some people think that that's like a, vo- a journey of self-discovery. Uh, but you've introduced into there the wise old emu. And connect this with our Christian faith for a few moments. You're a children's minister. 
uh, you're a yep. part of a local church and there's something that happens when children's ministers uh, have under their care children who are going along to a kids church or Sunday school or you know they're part of a, a church environment or even if you take it to adults you've got pastors who are like an oversight to the flock and this message of you're not hopeless you have some gifts and someone helping you on this journey of discovery this is what happens when you get into the body of Christ and you're a part of what God is doing uh, reflect on those things for a few moments yeah i think the wise old man you certainly uh, can be a picture of uh, you know an older person that's experienced life and and discovered those things for themselves but uh, certainly uh, I also look at the wise old Emu as our creator who uh, understands, who's seen what we've been through and understands the struggles that we may have faced in life, whether we've faced those uh, at a younger age or right through our lives, no matter what our age is. And the wise old Emu to me is, is a picture of, of God and, and the creator that understands that, yes, we've had all of these struggles, but that doesn't matter. There's still something. He still has a plan for our life. And there, there's so many scriptures in the bible that we could relate back to that and uh there's one in in corinthians it says uh what no eye has seen what no ear has heard or what no human mind has conceived what god has prepared for those who love him and i think uh, god has prepared something for everybody's life and that's what i think is exciting and it's just a matter of uh for me it's been a journey of discovery but at the foundation of that has been my relationship with god knowing that Ultimately, uh, whatever it is I'm called to do, it's God that has that plan for my life. And if I seek him and, and trust in him and follow him, that's where I will find my purpose. Is there a sense in which while we recognize that we do have some talents and we think, oh, these are just naturally my talents, I can't remember who was sharing with me just recently, but this idea of a talent that is submitted to God becomes a gift. Uh, any thoughts on the way that our talents actually are God-given and that w- the way we use yep. them is something that, you know, God is leading us in those directions? Look, I, I believe that is true. And, you know, I look at a bird, they're very talented at flying. And uh, sometimes you know, if a, a bird was to say, well, yeah, I know I'm good at it, but I'm not sure if it's what I'm supposed to do, well, it's blatantly obvious that a bird is supposed to fly because they're just that good at it. And I think it's the same for us. And we can often find our calling and our talents in the things that we're really good at doing. And I think God has made us really good at doing that because he wants us to enjoy life, enjoy what we're doing. And when we enjoy what we're doing, we inspire other people. So I think we can find out uh, within the skills and talents and things that we love to do, oftentimes we'll find our calling and our purpose in God. And, of course, uh, the calling and purpose, not so much a needle in a haystack where it's just a lifelong search. Uh, if you discover this early, it can shape your whole life. It certainly can. And I was speaking to a group of kids. I was out in uh, western Queensland, uh, just outside of Collinsville, a little town called Scottville, and it's a town of about 350 people. I was there yesterday and uh, speaking to the school, which uh, had about 40 kids in it. And I asked them, I said, what is the the legal age that you have to be in order to become an author? And a lot of them said 18, 21, 30 or something like that. And then I said to them, you know, you can become an author at any time in your 
life. You don't have to wait for any age. You don't have. Ian, I've got to drop. I've got to cut in here because we're about to go to news, and we'll we'll pick up this train of thought. And there's lots more to talk about, including your Guinness World Record. Uh, We're back with more. Ian McIntosh, our guest, after Vision National News. Before we get into some of the aspirations and dreams, and there is some motive to what you'd like some help to do uh, in getting your book into school libraries everywhere. Uh, You run these creative writing workshops, though. Uh, Let us in on some of the sorts of things you do and what sort of areas you're working in. Yes, so with the creative writing workshops, I do those mostly in schools. I've just returned from a week down around Collinsville. Uh, I've been up to the Atherton Tablelands. I'm about to head out to the Gulf. Uh, I've been down to Brisbane. I'll basically travel anywhere in Australia to visit schools and talk to kids how to think and write more creatively. I, I share my story. I read my stories and I show them how to make writing exciting, basically, and uh, have fun using words. Okay, you actually have also uh, helped some very young children to get their own stories into print. Uh, give us a little uh, background on some of the, the help that you've given to kids over the uh, recent years. Yeah, it looks like it's a fantastic opportunity. Uh, I get to uh, have conversations with parents and kids on a regular basis, and I'm currently helping an eight-year-old boy from Brisbane who uh, loves to write and just to give him some ideas on how he can take that further, and his parents are pretty keen to look at perhaps getting him to put his story into print. And for me, I, I think just what a what a great opportunity, what an inspiration for that child to realise a dream at eight or nine years of age, uh, becoming a published author at that age. And I think it just sets them up, whether he goes on to pursue a writing career or not, I think the self-belief that will give him to realise that he's achieved something as amazing as printing a book when he was only eight will be incredible and it'll affect him for the rest of his life. Now, you're working with these kids in outback communities and I know some people will be saying, aren't children learning to unlock all this creativity in their school setting? What's so important about creative writing workshops? And maybe this is for parents who see some special gift in their own child uh, to get into one of these sorts of creative writing opportunities. Uh, What's so special about doing something as specialised as you do rather than just relying on school? Well, schools do a fantastic job, and my mum is a retired teacher, and my oldest daughter is uh, currently a teacher, so I have my utmost respect for teachers and and education, but from what I found from going into schools is they have so much on their plate, they they have so much that they have to focus on, they don't always get the opportunity to explore the creative side of writing, they're very much focused on teaching the technical, and don't have as much time as they would like to spend on the creative, so... When I go into a school, I come 100% from the creative side and just encourage kids to think about creative writing differently and to use their imagination and to to tap into their their creativity, which every child naturally has, and to show them ways that they can make what they... A lot of kids find a little bit boring and mundane, writing a story. I can show them how to take that and make it interesting and make it exciting. So that's really what I do when I go into schools. I just inspire kids to look at writing differently. 
let's bring adults into the picture here because while you might teach creative writing and creative thinking with children, there's a sense in which so many of us listening will say, wow, why wasn't somebody like Ian around when I was going through school? Uh, I love to write, but I didn't get the sort of encouragement that I might have gotten if I'd have come into contact with someone like Ian. Uh, it's not too yeah. late, whatever age in life you are, to get that creativity to work. No, I, look, it's it's never too late. And uh, look, I've just received an email from a lady from Melbourne this morning whom I've never met. Uh, she's just found me through somebody on Facebook and she's got some questions about creative writing. And that just happens to be the area that I know she wants to write a children's story. So I'll be having a conversation with her later today to just give her some tips to uh, help her take it from something that just seems impossible and that may never happen to help her to realise that it is possible and she could become a published author this year if she really wants to. So I love talking to adults as well because, I mean, I didn't figure it out till I was 43. So I think uh, that's I do specialise in working with kids and I talk to kids all over Australia. And uh, But I'm definitely happy to encourage any adult. And, and it's not only with creative writing. I have a lot of adults that say to me, hey, man, I've always had an idea to do uh, build something or paint something or whatever it is. And they've seen me doing what I'm doing with the creative writing and how far I've come in just a short amount of time. And that is enough encouragement for them to say, you know what, I'm going to give it a go as well. Okay, let's talk about your book, The Little Kangaroo. You've got an aspiration here uh, to actually get this little book into as many school libraries around Australia as you possibly can. And uh, this is where listeners to a conversation like this today might be able to help because you've got a crowdfunding idea to get your book into schools, something you may be thinking is beyond your own personal uh, capacity to do that. So you, you're bringing in... A, uh, all sorts of people, friends, uh, family, no doubt there'll be lots of people who'll be on the team and you're inviting people listening to our conversation today to also be a part of that. How can that whole thing work that can get your book into the schools? Yeah, look, the, the story is essentially about encouraging kids uh, who haven't quite figured out where they fit in or uh, that somebody believes in them and they were born for purpose and, and they have a, a special gift in their life. So I, I really want to get the story out to as many people as possible. So... What I'm doing with the crowdfunding project is giving people the opportunity to pre-purchase a book that will then be donated to a school on their behalf anywhere in Australia. And that's the goal so far. It's been going incredible. And there's people that have got on board that says, look, I know a kid. Some people are buying books for specific children, which is fine. Others are thinking, well, I know a school that I'd like to give this book to. And that's a way that they can be a part of encouraging kids that somebody believes in them and that they were born for a purpose and People can buy one book or they can buy hundreds of books. It doesn't really matter. And they can choose where they want the books to go. Uh, we've made it super cheap just because we want to get as many books out there as possible. Uh, we've done, done really well so far. We've nearly had uh, 200 books sponsored just in the last couple of weeks. That uh, when the book comes out uh, somewhere around July, August, those books are going straight into schools thanks to people all over the country so far that have... Uh, got behind what we're doing, they believe in what we're doing and they're supporting uh, those books and getting them into schools. As a Christian, we think about children's books and uh, for some they'll be thinking, oh, if it's a Christian-style children's book, it'll be overtly Bible teaching things of the Bible. 
And uh, there are others who will say, but there's room in here for reflecting good, solid biblical values, which are not yep. so overtly Bible. What are your thoughts on uh, on the values within your book? Because I know it's not overtly a Bible book, but uh, the sorts of values we're talking about certainly are biblical values. Yeah. Well, look, I, when I wrote the story, I, I sort of didn't think of it from a Christian perspective. And, I mean, that's the great thing about the story. It's a positive message that people will get something out of anyway. But I have started to develop material because of the interest uh, from all sorts of different people and organisations. I am developing material that uh, can be used as a resource from a Christian perspective to explore uh, that, that godly perspective of purpose. And also, just, just from a, a mainstream secular uh, viewpoint as well, where they can talk to uh, students about uh, that we are all unique and we are different. Whether, whether they say it's God or not God, it's, it's really a case of I would rather somebody feel good about themselves and, and grow in life than not. But the great thing about this is that it, it's going to have that Christian connection there. So ultimately my goal is to encourage people that, yes, they are born for purpose, but that, that source of that creativity, that gift that they have, it ultimately comes from God. And, of course, your own reputation as a children's author continues to grow. This is your fourth story, as you were sharing a little earlier on. Uh, you are a children's minister. You're into um, typically outback settings. And, you know, honour to you because a lot of people are aiming for the city, but you've really got this yeah. wonderful vision for outback schools, outback communities. And you mentioned that you're travelling up into the Gulf of Carpentaria. Normanton is yep. a place where you actually uh, did a little bit of growing up through your earlier years uh, have you got some aspirations to maybe sweep across the whole country oh look i'd love to go across the country and to be honest my vision for uh, the little kangaroos to take it worldwide i'm already looking at uh, getting it translated into a n- number of different languages so it can go across the world but in terms of uh, my vision for australia is to really get it out across australia and I see myself visiting schools and churches and camps and organisations, whatever setting that I can get to where there's kids and even adults to share the vision of the little kangaroo and share the story of the little kangaroo. And I'm, I'm lucky. I mean, I'm from the outback. I relate to the outback and I spent 18 years or so in Normanton growing up and uh, I think it's the best part of the country and uh, I love to get out there whenever I can. Uh, so I relate to outback kids well. But uh, my story is a kid from the outback that used to be a rodeo clown that stumbled into writing children's stories. It goes well anywhere. So I've, I've got a, uh, one of my goals this year is to go down to Melbourne to spend time in schools in Melbourne and also to Brisbane this year. I'd love to spend a lot more time in and around schools in southeast Queensland to share the message. Well, your reputation is growing, and as you've just said, and there may be listeners who are thinking, wow, we need to book Ian for our church, for our camp, uh, for our school, and uh, opportunities will be there as people uh, do make contact with you, ianmackintosh.com.au, and I'll mention that at the end of our conversation again too. Uh, so, Ian, uh, let me just pick up on another element that is actually a part of uh, the sort of reputation that's growing with you, and that is that the fact that you're a Guinness World Record holder. Now, you can be a Guinness Record holder on a whole lot of crazy things. Uh, tell us about yeah. your record. Well, when I wrote my second children's story, Silly Socks, Sleepy Socks, 
I thought back to when I had my book launch for Watch Out for the Bicky Monster. And uh, a book launch is, of course, where you go and sit at a shopping centre out in front of a bookshop. And for the next three or four hours, you hope and pray that people will come over and talk to you. And my first book launch was actually quite successful. In fact, the, uh, the store owners told me that it was one of the best uh, they've had in terms of sales for a book launch. But I just remember thinking, oh, I want to do something a little bit different for the book launch for Silly Socks, Sleepy Socks. So I, I remember thinking to myself that I hadn't set a Guinness World Record lately, so maybe I should do that. And one of the pages in the book of Silly Socks, Sleepy Socks, that talks about where sometimes socks don't want to be socks at all. They want to be googly-eyed, growly green monsters or wiggly, squirmy worms, and that was just referring to sock puppets. So uh, I decided to uh, have an attempt to set a brand-new Guinness World Record for the most number of people wearing sock puppets in one place at one time. And I got in contact with Guinness World Record, and they said, if you're crazy enough to do it, you can have a go, but you have to get more than 250 people to come along and be in the same place at the same time, and they all have to be wearing sock puppets. So I did that on the 20th of August, 2016, and I had 365 people all in one place at one time wearing sock puppets, and so became the new Guinness World Record holder for that. Oh, that's great. And, of course, uh, raising a little bit of profile for your book as well, yes. uh, Silly Socks, Sleepy Socks, uh, that is wonderful. And the thing with children's books and we might all remember the sorts of stories that our parents read us when we were just toddlers, uh, children in primary school, and just some of the amazing stories that have stayed with us for our whole life. So uh, this is the thing with children's stories and the importance of it in the firm foundation that you want to bring to children's lives, that children will remember these stories their whole life. And that's something that you're making a wonderful contribution in, Ian. Look, I think it's, uh, I feel very privileged to do what I do and uh, certainly as my reputation is growing, I'm hearing more and more stories from uh, parents and kids that I bump into that, that say that uh, my stories are their children's favourite book and I can see with some of the people who have read the manuscript to The Little Kangaroo uh, have made comments about that too and it, it's such a privilege to be in a position to use the, the gifts that God has given me to to put words on paper that inspire and encourage and motivate other people. And it's a privilege and it's an honour and it's something that I'm very glad that I've discovered that I'm good at and that I get to spend the rest of my life doing. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Well, we've been talking a very interesting conversation all about The Little Kangaroo. It's a new children's story. Ian McIntosh is our guest. He's a successful children's author. He's a Guinness World Record holder. He loves poetry. He's a former rodeo clown and delivers creative writing workshops. Now, interestingly, Ian, when we reflect on some of the things that you do as a children's minister and as you do all of these things, authoring books and doing all sorts of stuff, you've discovered that when you are with people, it's more about them than it is about you. How do you reflect on the way that uh, you've seen your success continue to grow so far? Yeah, I think if somebody was to ask me, like, give me a tip to be successful, I, I would say my number one tip is to say that success is about making what you do more about other people than about yourself. And that's really my focus with whatever I do. I don't want it to be about me. I know there's a bigger picture uh, than 
making it just about me. And the more I try to make it about other people and about myself, I've, I've just seen opportunities, doors open up, and, and I've seen amazing things happen in, in other people's life, which in turn impacts my life. And I think if I was to make it about myself, then it'd just be all about Ian. But I, I don't mind whether people know my name or not. I just want them to know, know the message rather than uh, who I am. Let's come back to this crowdfunding proposal that you've got. And I know that there'll be some who'll be thinking, you know what, I could support uh, some of those things that Ian is doing. Uh, How do people connect with you and be a part of this crowdfunding proposition that you've got going where you want to get uh, this new story of yours uh, into school libraries right across Australia? Yep. So the best way to... uh me down through uh, and look at uh, what they can do through the crowdfunding for the books is just to Google Ian McIntosh, The Little Kangaroo. And that, that should come up in the first couple of lines for a Google search. The other thing that they can do if they want to reach out to me and talk to me about anything, if they got ideas for a story or if they'd like me to uh, visit their school or uh, camp or church or anything like that, they can uh, contact me through uh, ianmackintosh.com.au. Uh, my email address is just ian at ianmackintosh.com.au and Macintosh is M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. So that, that's really the best way, ianmackintosh.com.au. They'll find me or just Google Ian McIntosh, the little kangaroo, and they'll be able to find out uh, more about the story and also the different ways that people are getting involved to sponsor books into Aussie primary schools. All right. It is a wonderful opportunity. Uh, the crowdfunding page, uh, let me just make it simple. Uh, just simply go to ianmackintosh.com.au and there's going to be some links there and uh, you'll be able to find some more details, some more background about the little kangaroo and the opportunity that presents itself when you get a little bit creative about how you think you'd like to get the story into people's hands. So the creativity doesn't stop when it comes to just getting a story onto paper. Uh, The creativity continues as to how you can get that story, which is filled with so many wonderful values and which creates opportunities into the future for the likes of Ian to be a minister of the gospel before, whether it's schools or church camps or church youth groups or church children's ministries, uh, to be having that opportunity to be able to share his faith uh, for those kids. Ian McIntosh, just great to get your insights today. I want to thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your story with us. Uh, It is inspiring. You're inspiring for all of us, whether we're involved in some level of children's ministry or whether we actually need to be able to take a hold of the bull by the horns, so to speak, uh, to uh, actually get into our own creative slot. Uh, Ian, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Matt, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, I do apologise for my husky voice. It's just come from four days, four solid days in schools, uh, talking at the top of my voice and having fun with kids. Okay, great talking to you. We'll talk again, no doubt, on another day. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.